Welcome. Today we're in the third week of a series called Four. And like I said, the first week, it doesn't mean four like in golf when you're about to hit, be hit by a golf ball. This is, means we're for our community. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed to see our digital bulletin and notes. Um, today we're going to be in the book of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Let me pray as we, we get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that there are moments in our life that we just need a change in how we're thinking. We need a change maybe in our ideas or maybe our our thought life. God, today, help us to see from your word, from what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, how we need to change how we think about you and think differently about you. God, help us to have our eyes opened, our hearts opened, our minds opened to what you would say in your word this morning. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into our scripture passage, I have a clip I want to show you real quick. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers. The round pegs in the square holes. The ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. There was a lot written and said about this commercial. It was actually from 1997, which some of you in this room weren't even born then, so... That's why it's in black and white. Just kidding. 1997, we had color TV. It's an Apple TV, uh, Apple TV commercial that they had. Some was said, some was good. After all, it would actually go into the Advertising Hall of Fame. I didn't even know there was an Advertising Hall of Fame. It's an Advertising Hall of Fame. Some thought it was not so good. Now think about this. 1997, the LA Times, after seeing this, called Apple a dead brand. Interesting. And that w- there were those that wondered why it didn't feature any products or anything like that. How are you going to sell stuff if you don't show stuff, they wondered. Now, if you've watched commercials since then, a lot of people have adopted the same philosophy with their commercials. But of course, that was the genius behind this Think Differently campaign. It was a call to think differently, a call to have courage to push against the current thinking of the day. And I bring this up because... In some ways, it connects to where we're at as a church. We have to come together and ask our community, to, who, the ones that don't know God, to think differently. We have to do that. There are thousands of people in our community. I know I just said thousands, and we live in a, a county where I would consider it the smallest county I've ever lived in population-wise. But it, it, there are thousands of people in our community that don't know God that need to think differently about him. There are thousands of people in our community that don't attend a church. And while there are many reasons for this, 
perhaps the most common reason, is this. Many people have written off God because they believe God has written them off. They, many people believe, have written off the church because they believe the church has written them off. After all, again, let's, let's theorize and think for a second before we get into the scripture passage, but if there is a God, then chances are, from what we've been told about God, he's really mad and upset with us. And for good reason, right? I mean, come on. We know ourselves and our skeletons in our closet better than anyone, and if there is a really God, a God that knows everything, he knows that too. No wonder he's written us off. But for others, it might be like this. You tried the treadmill. Anyone get on a treadmill after not being on it for a while? It's not fun. The next day, you're really sore. So they get on the treadmill, and they walk into church, and they try to be their hardest to be a really good person, and at some point, they step on the side of the treadmill, and they fall off the treadmill. I was running the other day on the treadmill, and this actually happened to me. I think it was because it was like 5.30 in the morning, and I'm running, and I put one foot, and I went to step, and I actually stepped on the side pad. Do you know what happens when that happens? Your other leg goes like this. It's like a donkey kick, okay? So you, when, you, when you fall off the treadmill, it's going to be painful. Only you get right back on, in this case, in, in an exhausting attempt to try to earn God's love forgiveness and favor. Until one day you ask a really good question. Is this working? Is this religious system working for me? And for many people, they just step off the treadmill in a safe way, walk away from church, and in some sense, they walk away from God, hoping that in the end it all works out and maybe God grades on a curve. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that thinking. That idea that maybe, maybe God grades on a curve. And I, I understand why people say that. I do. But I'm not content. I'm not content to allow people in our community, in our county, to think that any further. And neither are you if you're here this morning. That's why you've been here at Sunlight Community Church through different pastors, staff, and people for 29 years. Because Jesus is at work here. From the very beginning to now... Our church has simply wanted to do our part by suggesting, this is suggesting to the over 20,000 unchurched people in our county. And in case that number seems really high, that's actually a low number. I did the research this week. There's over 20,000 people in our community that do not attend a church on a Sunday morning. That it, we want to suggest to them, when it comes to God, there's a reason to think different. 70, 70 to 75, actually it's probably 75 at this point, of our community is not in church this morning. They're not connected to any community of believers. There's a reason to reconsider the norms of what you may have been told about God. There's a reason to think differently about God. There's a reason we can think differently about God because something has happened Something transformative has happened to help us reconsider. There's a reason to gather together on Sunday mornings to give 20,000 people that have potentially written off God an opportunity to reconsider that. For a few minutes, I want to share what happened centuries ago that matters today and why it's so important on our journey as a church. To do that, let me take you back centuries ago to the first century. And in the first century, 
they had this, this word here. Anyone know Hebrew? I know, I'm, I'm, I'm using weird words. And Does that look like a bunch of symbols to most of you? It's just a bunch of symbols. That right there is the name of God in Hebrew. That's what it looks like. When translated into English, you get four letters. Y-H-W-H, which is where we get the name Yahweh for God. In Bible times, forever, however, and in the first century, there was this belief that if you said the name of God out loud, you would be struck down dead by God. And I think that's interesting. I, I never connected this until I read in Leviticus what that meant. Leviticus 24.16 is a verse that explains this. The people believed if you said Yahweh, you were blaspheming God's name. So they took this so far, they never said his name when reading the scriptures. When they read at, at the synagogue, they never said his name. So let me give you an example. So instead of saying, in the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens and the earth, they would say, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. That sounds a little different. They wouldn't even pronounce the name of God. There was a distance. This fear, which reverent fear of God is definitely good, but, a, but it, it, was for, it was deeper than that. It was a belief that there was an angry God, that even if we said his name out loud, it might cause him to strike us down. That he was angry, upset, and uptight. And there was this distance between mankind and God, so much so they wouldn't say his name out loud for fear of retribution. And then something happened different. There was a think different moment. You saw all those figures in the video earlier. How many of you were trying to figure out who, who was in the video? I, I mean, I was. I've watched it about six times, and I still don't, I'm not entirely sure who, who everyone in the video is, but I'm pretty sure I know a lot of them. There's a think different moment. And many of you have had to make choices to think differently. A new name for God was offered, and not only was it different, it was somewhat shocking. Imagine being with Jesus here. Not, not only could you not say God's name out loud, this new name presented a totally different concept of God. Jesus appeared on the world stage and gave God a new name. It sounds weird to say that, right? I mean, it almost sounds like blasphemous, like they were saying, but he gave God a new name. We find Jesus praying in Luke chapter 11, you can turn with me there. Luke chapter 11, as was his common practice, when he finishes, the disciples come up to him with a question. Let me read the first four verses here. Many of you might actually know this part. It's called the Lord's Prayer. But it's in Luke, the wording is a little bit different than Matthew. So, so you want to make sure that you read this part of it. It says, starting in verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as, Jesus, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. And for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus modeled what a prayer life was like. He got alone with God by himself. You know, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When we're praying in groups or alone, sometimes we can struggle with words. I'll admit it. Has anyone ever done that? Yeah? No hands. I know everyone's saying that at some point. When we're young, our prayers can be super generic. I hear these sometimes. 
God, thank you for everything. Our prayers can be like that. Jesus is going to show us a more focused, specific way to pray. God is listening, and we're not meant to be intimidated by him. It's a personal conversation. The disciples asked Jesus a question, and they started with, teach us. Teach us. In Luke 11.2, he said to them, when you pray, say... I'm going to pause there for a second. What happens is next is shocking, staggering. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's unexpected. And the world has never really recovered. Father. Father. Jesus went from calling God Yahweh, or not even saying his name, to dad, to father. Not only can you say God's name, but you can call him Abba, which is the word that is there, the Aramaic. It says Abba, Abba father, dad. And this is shocking. It's just shocking. Talk about a think different moment. God was using, or Jesus was using a word for God that no individual had ever used. And you may, if you've read your Bible, you may go, wait a second. Um, Well, I think I've heard it before. People use the word, but not to describe their individual relationship with God. The people had used it in an informal, distant way to describe God as the father of the nation of Israel. And that's it. That's the only time it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's the only time it happens there. But it's never in an intimate way. Jesus is changing how we pray and our relationship from informal and distant to intimate to a closeness to God. Calling God Abba, or Father, is a sign of security. The disciples had a hard time with this. And you'll see that later on in, in the Gospel of Luke. And we might too. Many, many of us feel that God is separate from us. And Jesus was thinking differently, and we should too. Prayers are both moments of intimacy and respect. Because what's next? It says, hollowed which is used next, is a word for reverence, to be revered. And it's a command. It's, it's imperative that we're reverent and then intimate with God. It's both. It's not either or. People should see our relationship with God like this. Like a child that runs to their father when he comes home. Only the thing that Jesus changed here is God is always home. So we always need to be running to him. Jesus gives us the opportunity to be intimate with the God of the universe. Our Heavenly Father doesn't reject us or hurt us like our earthly father might have. God even sent Jesus while we were still lost. Romans 5.8 says, For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did it while we were lost. Think about that. The first truth from God's, God's word this morning is you can have an intimate relationship with God and share that with others. And share that with others. I say you there, and I, I, I don't think I've ever used you in a point, but I say that because we all need to hear this, myself included. So it's directed at each one of us. We need to personalize God's word this morning. Instead of making it nebulous and over here, we need to say, I can have an intimate relationship with God, and I need to share that with others. 
We need to tell others about the new name for God. God sent Jesus to us while we were unrepentant sinners without hope, lost without a savior. You might be hurting right now. You might be struggling with intimacy with God. Jesus doesn't say God might be close to you. He says he will be close to you when we pray. And the next line should have a huge impact on our lives about that. It says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. If we're in the kingdom, and if we're for the kingdom, our will will be guided by God's will. It will. If we pray God's kingdom come, it's going to require some commitment. Anyone ever feel like they need to be committed to something? This is something we all should be committing to as followers of Jesus Christ. Luke 9.62 shows this. Jesus said to them, and he's speaking to a crowd, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is for the fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom is to be pursued above everything else. Don't look back on what you used to be. Look forward to what God is going to make you to be. If we really mean it when we say, your kingdom come, we're pursuing the kingdom. The second truth from the passage is you can pursue the kingdom of God in our community. You can pursue the kingdom of God in our community. It's not something that has to be here and separate. It's something that we can do here. We need to think differently and present the gospel and our Father to an orphaned world. A lot of people feel very orphaned. They just don't know it yet. They might be lost. They don't know it yet. And Jesus says something right after this says, give us each day our daily bread. And verse 3 is really commonly quoted and recited one way. Today we can think differently with, with me for a moment, okay? Can we think differently? Scholars agree that there's actually two meanings here because of the other teachings of Jesus. One meaning is that God is providing for us each day. Matthew 6.26 in the Sermon on the Mount gives us understanding where it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? Are you not of more value than they? We should be praying every day for our needs, knowing that God values us. But imagine with me for a minute. You get married. It's great. It's a great wedding. You kiss. You walk out of the church. And then you never talk to your spouse again. Imagine with me for a minute. You got a roommate. And they sign a lease with you. You're really excited. You're like, man, we're going to have a lot of fun. And, you know, like, we work the same shifts, so we're going to hang out in the evenings. And, and then you never talk to them again. Imagine with me. Okay, I don't need any more illustrations, right? The point is, we should talk to our spouse, our roommate, each day. And we should talk to God each day, too. Because that relationship is even more important than the other ones. We're married to Christ as his church. And there's a second meaning. The second meaning is that Jesus Christ is our daily bread. It literally says, and the translation would sound so weird in English, but it says, give us today and tomorrow our bread. It's not just about today. It's not about just about tomorrow. It's, it's continuous. It's an eternal bread, the bread of life. Jesus says in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God gives all we need physically 
and spiritually every day. It's not just one or the other. So the third truth from the passage is you can have your daily needs needs met in our Father in Jesus Christ. You can have your daily needs met. You ever wake up in the morning and just have a grumpy attitude? Where does that come from? God's going to meet our daily needs. That's where joy and trials comes from in, in the book of James. This might seem trivial, but the older I get, the more I need to hear this truth. The more I need to hear it. Daily needs met by the one that I can be intimate with, that I, the one that loves me. And then comes the last verse of the prayer. The last verse. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. We're in a continual state of needing forgiveness. But we don't have to have a perfect, specific list of every sin, because sometimes we're unaware of our sin. Jesus is talking about a relationship here, not just our eternal salvation. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, says it this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there are any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, search our hearts, forgive us, and lead us to our eternal destiny. The line right under, forgive us our sins, caused me to think differently. It says, forgive everyone. It's a warning. It's It's a huge warning. For those who claim to follow Jesus but have no desire to forgive others, Why forgive? I'll give you three reasons. The health of our souls. Why forgive? The health of Jesus Christ's church, which is bigger than any one of us. For the sake of the world, so that people can see the church as a place of forgiveness. The fourth truth from the passage is you can live a forgiven life. It starts with forgiving others. That's where it starts. You can live a forgiven life. It starts with forgiving others. And I know in a room this size that there's there's some of us that really, really struggle with this. It's so freeing, though, when you're able to forgive as we've been forgiven. It's actually supernatural. Jesus ends the prayer with a line here that is something that has been confused in my lifetime, at least. I've had many different confusing understandings of this, but... It says, lead us not into temptation. That's all we need. We need to ask God in our time of temptation, to not, when we're tempted to sin, to deliver us. It's a humble prayer. You ever have a really good day, and then the next day is like terrible because something bad happens? I, 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 have a, I have a theory about that. It's because you're so convinced about where you stand before God, that you are convinced of that things are going well and they're going to go well, and then you fall into temptation because you're just like, you're not going to God in this case. You're not asking God to deliver you every day, no matter how well things are going or how poor things are going. Because you have to pray this. When you pray this, you're showing that we're aware of our weakness and our Father's strength. Prayer is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Anyone heard another title for it? Anybody? It really should be the disciples' prayer. You know Jesus wasn't praying these lines. I mean, maybe some of them. It's a prayer for daily needs. 
daily examination, daily confession, and daily strength. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He's asking us to continue to think differently about God. He, he reads in verse 11 through 13, which I found to be probably some of the most curious verses that he ever spoke. Starting in verse 11, it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus presents this unheard of, think different moment. A good father loves his kids and is for them. That's true of our earthly fathers. And I think if we went around and we all were talking, we'd be here for hours talking about our dad's good things, bad things, things we struggle with, things where we appreciate. And as a father, what might I do differently in how I raise my kids? If that's true of our earthly fathers, imagine what it's like for our heavenly father our Heavenly Father. In doing so, Jesus presents the greatest, most groundbreaking, think-different moment ever presented to mankind. Your Heavenly Father loves you and is for you. Now, it's a radical thought for most people, the thought that God would actually be for them, but I want you to understand something, and I want to add a disclaimer here. Just to say that just because God is for us doesn't mean it's all about us, okay? Because we can get really confused with this whole idea of for. Just because God is for us doesn't mean it's all about us. No, it's all about God. But in his humility, his grace, and the sacrifice of his son, his love is abundantly available to us. And it all hinges on this. None of this happens unless Jesus endures the cross. Which leads me to another think different moment. It bothers me that most people are, are very familiar with the church of Jesus Christ is against rather than what the Jesus, church of Jesus Christ is for. The Heavenly Father paid too high of a price for that to be the current thinking of people. That, that our Savior paid too high of a price for that to be the current thinking of people. Jesus is brutally murdered on a cross. The doors of the kingdom of God are flung open. And for anyone who wants to experience grace and mercy, the, and, the, and the movement entrusted with spreading the news is known more for what it's against than what it's for? Seriously? Look, I'm not okay with that. And I know you're not either. Sunlight was started to reach the lost. I kind of went on a journey this week, and I called some of the pastors that have been at Sunlight over the years. And I found the story of what this church was founded on. And I think we need to go back to what that is. Don Roth was the president of the FEC, which is the fellowship of churches we're a part of. Saw Jay Nicholas, who was a student in his class. And Jay Nicholas was approached by an evangelical Mennonite church in Archibald to plan a church. He made a process to plan a church that was new. No one was doing what he was doing, and he just, God was continuing to work. God's at work in people's lives that are far from him. God is at work in lost people's lives, 
And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's pretty simple. John 4.35 was a pivotal verse in the vision for this church. It says, Do you not say, There are yet four months when it comes to the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There is a harvest here in Steuben County. We can't wait four months. We can't wait four months. The, the launch team that started Sunlight was from Archibald. They got an RV. I thought this was totally crazy. When I heard this, I thought, wow. They got an RV and they went to 30 different locations, 30 different cities or towns. They narrowed it down to Angola, Defiance, Ohio, and Napoleon, Ohio. And they decided Angola was the best location 29 years ago. You know why they decided this was the best location? Research on this area says this. This is in 1992. Some of this has changed, some of it's not. There's a very high abuse rate. There's low church attendance. There's some of the highest alcoholism rates in the, in the state. And divorce rate was the highest in the state at the time. But God saw to work in this community. April 19, 1992, this church was started. Going after lost people, leading people to Christ... We wanted to reach lost people. We need to focus on the lost and then continue to disciple. The process to plant churches that the FEC uses now and other organizations use, much larger groups of churches than ours, to plant churches came out of sunlight. Like Jay wrote it, we were almost a case study for what churches are being planted now. I know of at least... 25 churches that were planted because, as a result of what God did here 29 years ago. And there's many more than that. Churches are being planted all over the country because God used a few people sold out on the mission of the church. And when it comes to reaching people for Jesus, we don't think we're better. We don't think we're smarter or have all the answers to life. But we just take Jesus at his word. Because what he's done, we can call God Father. And like any great father... That means our Heavenly Father's for us. He wants what's best for us. And he's come for our community. It really comes down to this. When you experience Jesus, you want those who haven't to experience him as well. And to know him and the relationship you have with him as well. When you come to grips with what Jesus endured on the cross for you, you want others to know that he did the same for them. When you realize Jesus is for you, it compels us forward. It, it moves us forward. Jesus has caused us to think differently about who God is. And it's life-changing. It's eternity-shaping. And as we think differently as it relates to our church, and our church specifically, we want people to think different. I've said this over and over and over again. But I don't want you to forget it. Many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. We want to be known for what we're for. We're for redeemed relationships. We're for God bringing the people of God together for his glory. We're for our community. We're for families and students, adults, children, businesses, schools, and and, and communities within our community. If you look at Fort Steuben, that's our county, but, but many of you come from different places. 
Fremont, Angola, Hamilton, even outside of our county. The best news of all is that God is for them as well. People every Christmas, and this last Christmas, a lot of things were taken from us. I know that different plans change, but every Christmas, people look forward to the wagon rides downtown. They can take their family downtown, and we serve there. When people come, we stand there with a cup of hot chocolate, smiling. People see that. We go downtown as people come with their children to see Santa Claus. Now, are we there for Santa Claus? I know some of you are probably adult Santa Claus fans, but no, we're not there for Santa Claus. We're there to serve people because that's where Jesus would be. And much like Paul, as we talked about last week, we're going where people that need Jesus are. Last year, we've had people from all over the church delivering groceries to other people, dropping off groceries and not really expecting anything in return. This last year has been hard, though, because community things were taken away from us. And guess what? The church is not separate from the community. We are in the community. We are a part of the community. And it was taken away from us. Let this year, let us be focused on community so we can call on God, our Father, to guide us. No revival in the church, no change in the church, and no change in your heart has not been started without prayer. Whether it's the prayer of, Jesus, please be my Savior, I need you. Or it's the prayer of, Jesus, please help me get through this day. It's a little bit more desperate. Pray for opportunity and act on the Holy Spirit's direction. There are things that that you know that I will never know. There are people in this community that you can serve that I can never serve. But we all have the Holy Spirit. So what? What's the big deal? Why does this matter so much? So what? Right now, we have needs as a church. The elders and leaders in this church have had to make some hard decisions. We have ministries that cannot happen without you. And you may think, like, you just talked a ton about community. Well, community is also being able to bring people into the community of the church. The most immediate need in our church is children's ministry, is Ignite. My family has been personally impacted by the ministry of those serving in children's ministry. My children come at home hearing the gospel every week, week after week, from someone that's not me, because if they hear it from me, even my three-year-old might roll her eyes, okay? Dad, hearing from some other voice, my oldest daughter recently decided to follow Jesus because she kept hearing the same gospel message every week in Ignite. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I can't tell you what kind of kingdom impact that might be because it's eternal, it's forever, it's endless. And you might not have kids. You might feel like you can't help, but you can. You can have an eternal impact. We, we looked at our options and we're making a couple changes that can meet the need in children's ministry immediately, but we're not gonna be able to have children's ministry in May unless we have more volunteers to help and ignite. If we're going to invite the community in, it starts actually with children's ministry. It starts with reaching the children of our community that need to see our heavenly father rather just than their earthly father. Maybe their earthly father's abandoned them. 
or run away or whatever has happened. But they need to see our Heavenly Father. Right now, the need in May is this. And there's actually descriptions of what this is out on the Connection Center. There's also a, a, a slide we'll put up there in, in a couple minutes that's actually how to get to this stuff on our website. Right now, the need in May is a storyteller for three to five-year-olds and for grade school age. Okay, I even have kids that age, and I thought, I'm super intimidated to talk to three to five-year-olds. You know why? Because they're going to tell you everything that they're thinking, right? And so you're going to try to teach them God's word. It is the most exciting thing to talk to three to five-year-olds. I get to do that with the Vine once a week and share a Bible story. It is exciting, and you get to know the kids, and you start realizing that you're having an impact in a greater way than you can probably anywhere else. We need four classroom assistants. You know, if you're intimidated by storytelling, and I, I would encourage you that I think anyone can do it because I think it's important. Four classroom assistants and four check-in assistants. Maybe you're like, I don't want to miss service. Do check-in. You come in a couple minutes after the worship started and you've checked kids in. We need 10 spots filled over the entire month. We need you. We're the church together. It's not just a few of us. We need you. If you're interested or have questions, please talk to me up front after service. I'll be up here for a few minutes, but my wife's at women's retreat, so I got to go and pick up my kids as well, but I, I'll be up here up front. There's a huge difference we can make in our community. You may think this is just if children and if students think differently about God, correctly about how their Heavenly Father loves them, our Heavenly Father can reverse the effects of generational sin. Struggles passed on to the next generation. This difference in the lives of adults as well, if we're in our community sharing with them how to think differently, we can overcome the views on our parents with the view we have on our Heavenly Father. Now, I know that something as simple as praying Heavenly Father probably doesn't have this profound impact on any of us. But I can tell you when Jesus said this, the disciples were like leaning in like, what? That's how we're supposed to pray? That, uh, are you kidding me? We get to call God Father? Don't forget that excitement that they had. It may be easy for us because we've been used to it. You can make a difference for years to come and serve in children's ministry. I can't think of something that you're going to have a greater impact in. Both as, as being a parent, but honestly, anyone, anyone wants to have a generational impact, serve in children's ministry. So the question that, I, that I'm, I'm going to pose that is so important, the harvest is here are you working alongside Jesus? I'll say that again. Remember why this church was founded, John 4.35. It talks about the harvest. Well, the harvest is four months out, Jesus. And he says, the fields are white for harvest now. Are we waiting? What are we waiting for? The harvest is here. Are you working alongside Jesus? Or is he in the field by himself? Saying, come on, let's go. Let's go. Take his hand. Call on God the Father and go. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know, we know that we, just, just like the people Jesus describes, we, we want to wait four months. We, we don't want to think, think differently about God. We don't want to think that, that we can have an intimate relationship with God and we need to share that with others, that they can too have what we have because it's contagious when we pursue you. God, help us to think differently about how we call on your name because you are our Father that loves us and cares for us. When we ask for something and it is your will and for your kingdom, God, please grant those requests. And God, if you're teaching us patience or waiting or whatever you might be teaching us, Lord, help us to see that. But this week, let it not just be here in this room or or if you're watching online, just, God, help us to see opportunities around us. Help us to wake up in the morning and be so passionate about talking to our Father that we're in prayer to you every day. God, help us to not forget that when Jesus said, Father, It was such a think differently moment. And it transformed the world. And it's all because he died on a cross, was raised to life so that we can be saved. And we can be a part of sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ. We say all this in his name.